you, thank you, thank you. Sit down. You sit down. Very kind of you, thank you. Um, also, you know, uh, I'm going to give this to you, Sean. This is just an email list, and uh, I don't have an email list. <laughs> I've never had an email list, but the Lord said, hey, you need to start getting one. So I said, okay. So if you want to be on our email list, and, and uh, we will be sending out, we'll be doing blogs and all kinds of things. We just haven't been doing that for a long time. Um, if you go to our website, which is that right there, <coughs> there are several things there you can download for free. Uh, one is called Basics of the Christian Life. It's a little booklet, about 30-something pages long, and it's what we use for follow-up when we have the circus. It's absolutely free. You have permission to print it. You can change it into other languages, whatever you want to do with it. Uh, and then if you, if you want the printed copy, you can just contact our office uh, at that email, and uh, we'll send you whatever you want for free. All right? Uh, and then that's my office number. If you ever need to call me and just tell me how awesome I was. So that was, we'll just do that. Okay, uh, let me just go over the course a little bit, all right? Um, okay, this thing, hello. Have I got this turned on or not? Oh, there we go. Okay, the course overview, thank you. Just moving slow, is that all? All right, so who has, who did, anybody who does not have a workbook? Everybody has a workbook. Oh, a couple of them back here? Who doesn't have a workbook? <clears throat> okay, you need to get a workbook because... We're going to be, this is what we're going to be in all the next three days is a workbook. So, um, Sean, why don't you do me a favor? Just go out and get a few of those, and then we'll just trust them to pay for it sometime. If they don't, the Holy Ghost will get them. So. Can, I make, can, I, can I say one thing, though? Huh? Can I say one yeah, thing? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, just a heads up. If you drive, uh, it looks like a maroon Honda, maybe a Cord, possibly a Civic, license plate, G-A-H-9172, your car alarm is going off right now. So if that might be you, you might want to go check it out. Thanks. Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? <laughs> Nobody. Oh, it's yours? Okay. Everybody turn around and look at her. <laughs> all right. See, because here's the thing. You know, we, we all, everybody's done it, right? And we're all, we're all looking around going, who was that? And so now she's completely embarrassed because she left us on, just like you have been in the past. And the reason I call her out is not because I'm cruel. It's because we all need to remember it's okay. It's just life. Everybody does those kind of things, right? It's not a big deal. And so if you've ever been embarrassed, you know, you're not alone. At least it's, there's two of you now, you know. Okay, if you want to turn to page six, I want to go over the course overview uh, while you're turning there. Here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to do a lot of fill-in-the-blank activities in this workbook, which is why I, to make sure, why I wanted to make sure everybody had one. Anybody who still doesn't have a workbook yet, one over here? Let's get a few more. Just bring them in. Yeah, I need about, bring in about 10 if you got them, about a dozen if you got them. What is wrong with you people? You should be buying them. No, um, <clears throat> just kidding, just kidding. Um, so what we're going to do is a lot of fill-in-the-blanks. And so I'll teach for a little bit, and then we'll do what we call a drill. And you'll do some fill in the blank. And then you're going to turn to the person next to you and you're going to tell them everything you just wrote down. Okay. Now, the reason we do that is because we want it to imprint on your brain as much as possible. And normally, I would play music at the same time. You know, if you ever have kids and they play music when they're doing homework. Anybody ever have? If any of you had kids. I mean, that's good. Okay. 
You know, I used to play music when I was, when I was doing homework, and my parents would shut that music off. How can you concentrate? The thing is, when you play music, it's a fact that it imprints it on your brain better because you're using your auditory, you're using your eyes, you're using your, your tactile. All at the same time, the more uh, different uh, modes of, of reception into your body that you can, into your mind that you can use, the deeper it gets imprinted on your brain. So music is a really good thing. Uh, well, hopefully tomorrow. I just, I just forgot to get with these guys and say, hey, we got this music thing we're supposed to do. So uh, you're going you're gonna to write it. You're going to listen to it. Then you're going to write it. Then you're going to tell somebody else about it. You only remember about 5% of what you hear. <coughs> but if you can involve the writing and the speaking afterwards, it goes up over 50%. So the more you can do of that, the better. And then I would suggest, you know, a lot of times we won't have enough time during the, uh, the time that I give you. Uh, mainly, usually, uh, right now I'm teaching this in a high school, in a secular high school, which is really cool. Um, but it's called, it's got a different name and it doesn't have any scripture addresses in it. All the scripture's in there. It just doesn't say that's what it is. So, which is really cool because all of the, uh, the, it had to go through all this scrutiny with a school board, with the supervisor, you know, school board supervisor, all of that. Uh, Everybody said, hey, this is really great. And they're just reading the Bible. They didn't even know it. (coughs) So, teaching this in a high school, but I get, I get 80 days to do this in high school. Okay, we've got, we got three days. Okay, so it'll be a little bit like drinking out of a fire hose, like I said, um, but you're going to get the meat and potatoes of the whole thing, okay? Uh, you just may not have enough time to finish every uh, sheet of paper, every, everything that's in the workbook, but that's okay. You know, you always go back and do it again uh, and, and finish it out. The main thing is I, wanna, I want you to get started. Okay, so let's go to the PDA declaration on page six. When you want to all stand up and, pick, and with your things, we're going to say this out loud together. The reason I have you stand up is your voice print, which means the energy of your voice goes up 20% just by standing up. Okay? So let's say this together. Ready? Go. I was born of God for a specific purpose. His Holy Spirit will reveal that purpose to me as I seek him. He will help me develop the goals and plans which will become my destiny. I will embrace all the changes necessary to achieve those goals and fulfill those plans. My purpose will change the world around me as I live it out within the specific realms of influence. And if my purpose is to assist another's vision, I will joyfully do so as a bold, God-empowered helper For I realize the reward is the same for all who are humbly obedient. I have a purpose. It is my destiny. I will achieve it. Awesome. Sit down. You did great. That was awesome. Give yourselves a hand. That was great. Okay, that was pretty feeble, but I'll give it to you for now. Thank you. One person got it in. Okay, so if you want to turn to the next page, we're going to talk about being strategically placed. Right? Strategically placed. Let me get this up here so I'm looking at the same thing there, projecting. Okay. So we did that. And here we go with the tech. 
Okay, there we go. Strategically placed to change the world. Okay, so what you have in front of you, every outline we're going to go through over the next couple of days is the exact outline I am teaching from. All right, there, I have some other things in there, some of my personal notes in there, but I want you to know you're looking at the same thing. The reason I do that is because I want anybody who goes through this course to be able to teach this course. Why would I want to do that? Because the kingdom of God is about multiplication. It's not about addition. This is addition tonight. Multiplication is when you take it and you go find one person and you take them through it. Then we just went from 75 to 100 people, 100 people or so, to 1,000. I mean, just boom, right, or whatever. So it's that, that's the whole thing. So I want anybody to be able to teach this. You have my permission to do anything you want with this except sell it. Is that fair? Okay. All right, so <clears throat> we're strategically placed to change the world. Let me get to my correct stuff here. Almost there. So I'm gonna, I need to start by telling you a vision about why the real reason that's got me so focused in teaching people about how to find their purpose. Back in 1996, uh, the Lord had told me to start teaching this all ages, all media, on all continents. That's a big vision. So he said, the first thing I want you to do is take that first book you wrote, I want you to rewrite it because I'd learned a lot over the 10, 15 years since I'd written it before. He said, I want you to rewrite it and start doing seminars and things like this with it. So as I was rewriting that book, uh, my son, who at that point was about 15 years old, now he's in his mid-30s, um, <clears throat> he was deep into the drug world. We were, de we were living in uh, Dallas, Texas at that time. And every night he was sneaking out his window and he was thumbing a ride, getting a ride uh, downtown Dallas, buying drugs on one corner, selling them on the other at 15, packing uh, 9-millimeter pistols, knives, and other things, which we didn't find out until um, he was arrested. And he was arrested multiple times. But because he was a minor, he, kept, he, he was getting off. Uh, but he was insane. He was demonized. It was horrible. It was a two-year stint with my family just going through hell. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you what that was like. And, uh, I mean, he was pulling his weapons on my daughters who would never say anything because he threatened to kill them if they did, which we didn't find this out until after he was delivered and saved and, you know, all that. So it, right in the midst of that, he had just um, he, he had, he had an ankle bracelet so he couldn't leave the house, and he had run away, cut that off, and uh, we hadn't seen him for days. And <clears throat> I'm typing on my book, and all this just overwhelmed me. I mean, I just started thinking about my family, my son. I mean, this is crazy. And I stopped typing, and I, I just said, Lord, you know, my life and my family's life is an absolute mess. This is nuts. Why, why do you have me doing this? I am not the guy. I'm wondering what my own purpose is right now. And I put my head down on my computer desk, and when I did, I was instantly out of my body, and I was standing in heaven. And I was before the throne. And the, but it was the throne of, of um, not judgment, but where you're assessed as a Christian for what your life was like. 
So Jesus is like right about here where this table is and right about where this young lady is. There was a man standing looking at Jesus. And this man was completely undone. He's weeping. He's so upset because Jesus has just leaned forward and said to him, why didn't you do what I made you for? And the man was saying, I, I didn't know how to find out. I didn't know where to look. There was nobody to teach me. And then it was like this smoke cleared, a veil turned back, whatever it was. And I saw thousands of people as far as I could see, all races, ages, genders. I mean, they're, and they're all crying. They're all in the same condition as this man. They're all saying, we didn't know how. We didn't know what to do. We would have if we knew. And I'm, my heart's breaking. I'm, I'm standing there going, oh, my gosh, this poor man, these poor people. Then Jesus turns to me, and he points his finger at me, and he said, why didn't you teach them? Boom, back in my body, back in my room. Let me tell you, I have never lacked for motivation from that moment. <laughs> because that is, that is burned into my spirit. Because what he was saying to me is, is you have a purpose, Bill. If you don't do yours, they won't find theirs. Now, is, my, is, there, is there blood on Is it my fault? It's my fault if I don't do as much as I can. What anybody does with it, that's their problem, right? That's their responsibility. But I can't not teach this. And I got to tell you, I don't always enjoy it, right? I, I like change. I like things to be different. So to teach the same thing again and again and again is a little boring for me. But all I have to do is remember that little event, and the boredom kind of disappears, right? <laughs> so <clears throat> that's, that is what drives me. That's why we've got about a dozen different curriculums. And one of our curriculums is in Life Christian University. They have uh, <clears throat> 100 campuses around the world, about 4,000 students at any given time. And the curriculum that I wrote, uh, which was my doctoral thesis, uh, is to train uh, their ministry students how to teach this. Right? So that's been going on for 18 years, and it's been voted the most liked class, the favorite class for 18 years all over the world. Okay? So, yeah, it is awesome. It, and it's not certainly, I just go, <laughs> I know me. And I sometimes, I pick, up, you know, I pick up my book sometimes and I read it and I go, I don't remember writing this. I go, this is really good. You know? <laughs> I just don't, you know, I just don't remember it. So, and that's a good thing because it kind of knocks the uh, pride out of you when you go, okay, I know I didn't do this one. Okay, so that's, that's why I do this. But every one of us has a purpose. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. Okay, the word vision there means a mental picture or sight. Where there is no mental picture, where there's no sight the people are unrestrained. Your, your, some of your scriptures, some of your translations will say perish. People perish. That word perish, some people think that means you, you just die. That's not what it means. It means to be unrestrained. Unrestrained means there's no direction. There's nothing guiding you. There's nothing controlling your energy in any position. You're just a pinball. You're just bouncing from one thing to the other. You're not directed. It's like if I take a bit and I stick it in a horse's mouth, I can direct the power and the energy of that animal to do things, right? But if, I, if I, there's a horse just out running across the plains, what are they doing? They're just running across the plains. They're not getting anything done. There's no, there's no um, focused activity. So what, what this scripture is talking about is 
that there should be, if you have a mental picture that becomes law to you, because happy is he who keeps the law, and it's your purpose, what we're talking about here, if you have something that it's like that bit in your mouth where God can direct you, you're not, it's not because he doesn't like you and he's not taking your freedom away. He's giving you freedom. Freedom to be the absolute best you could ever be because he knows exactly what you need to do and what you're going to be happiest at, what you're going to be best at. So it's not a constraint in the, in the sense of, oh gosh, I'm just all bottled up here. It is a constraint in the thing of, okay, now I can be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. But I have to have a mental picture first of where I'm going. I have to believe in where I'm going. That's what your purpose is. Uh, the next it says, he wants our fruit to remain, and he wants that fruit to bear more. Let me read this to you, John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that, here's the reason, you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Notice that he ties asking whatever you want and receiving it to whatever you were chosen and appointed for. You get that? So, fruit. What's fruit? The fruit he's talking about is whatever he chose you for, right? Well, that means what are you, what are you supposed to do? You've got to find that out. And then he says it's fruit that remains. How does fruit remain? Anybody know? Think about it. How can fruit remain? Seed. He said it right there, yeah. Every, every, all fruit has a seed in it. That what, that's what makes it a, a, pre, a piece of fruit. It's got a seed in it. So the only way your, your life can bear the fruit that God wants, which is fruit that remains, which means it goes beyond you, goes beyond your life maybe, goes beyond your ability, whatever, is to have seed in it that allows that fruit to be created again. You understand? You understand? So you have to find out what, whatever it is that God's called you to, inside that is awesome fruit, and the inside that fruit is seed from more fruit just like that. So what I've been doing for the last 40 years, teaching people how to find their purpose, people find that, they run with that, and guess what they do? They inspire other people to do the same thing. Maybe they teach the people to do the same thing, right? Does that mean everybody has to be a teacher or write books? Absolutely not. No, it just means whatever you're called to do, whatever you're, you're appointed to do, is, got, has fruit in it that has a seed in it that will go on. But the key is you have to have the mental picture of it first. You have to understand what it is. This makes sense, right? There's two things that should happen with any purpose that God gives you. It's in Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And men do not <clears throat> light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let, that's your responsibility, your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So there's two things, two main things going on here. Whatever you do, whatever you're called to do, you are going to do these two things. You're going to help people, number one, and you're going to glorify God, number two. If you have a vision in your life that you think you're supposed to pursue and it doesn't do those two things, that's not the right purpose. 
There's nothing you are called to do as a Christian that isn't going to do those. Your life is about taking care of people and, ta- and worshiping God. It's really that simple. We were talking about it on the way over. There's, we only have two things to do. Love people, love God. That's pretty easy. The thing is, each of us are going to do it completely differently because we're all so totally unique, which is wonderful. So if you can get a mental picture of what that is, and that's what we're going to do over the next few days, you're going to be able to walk in that with not only confidence, but bearing fruit and helping people and bringing glory to God. And it doesn't matter where you are or how you do it. Does this, you get that? It isn't about trying to be like anybody else except you. You know, years ago, the Lord said to me, he said, you be you, I'll be me, and that'll, do, that'll be enough. I thought, that's a great, I like that. Okay, so we're all called. What does it mean to be called? We've all, hey, we all have this calling. You know, what does the word call mean? It means invitation. Everyone is invited. You know, when Jesus said, you know, many are called, few are chosen, it's because they don't answer the invitation. You're called, you're invited, but they choose not to, not to take the invitation. You ever gotten an invitation to go somewhere and you go, ah, no, I don't want to go? Happens all the time. Right? And it happens in the kingdom all the time. And I'm not talking about people who are going to hell. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Christians who are going to heaven that do not say yes to the call or the calling. Calling, you put calling and purpose, make them synonymous if you want. It's our responsibility to say yes. It's our responsibility to let our light shine. It's our responsibility to bear fruit. You know, people say, well, I'm just going to be led by the Spirit. I go, okay, great, show me the fruit. I have no problem being led by the Spirit, but show me the fruit. If you, because you know, most of the people who, who use that, they're using an excuse to be a pinball, not to say, "Yeah, here's what God, me and God are doing this. This is awesome." It's always about, "Well, I go here and I go there and I go here and I go there." Yeah, but what are you doing? I mean, a pinball doesn't do anything except make a lot of noise, right? Moves around, not makes a lot of noise, doesn't do anything. That's not who we are. That's not who God has for you to be. Romans eleven twenty nine. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Two things. Gifts is plural. Calling is single. Singular. You have one calling. You have one purpose. You don't have ten. You have one. How you walk that out may be a hundred different ways. I talked about this morning. You may, you may do a lot of different things in your life. I mean, you know, I've been a circus performer. I've been a business executive, a business owner. You know, I've, I've done a lot of things in my life, but it's all my purpose has never changed. My calling is without revoke. It cannot be taken away. Your calling can never be taken away from you. It's been in you since you were, before you were born. What did God say? I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Before your conception, God already knew you, and he already had a plan for you, and he already had a calling for you that's unique to you. It's your purpose. Now, what I don't want you to do is don't, get, don't feel condemned. Oh, my gosh, you know, I've been a Christian for 40 years, and I don't know what my purpose is. If you've been loving God and loving people, you've been accomplishing most of it. Okay. Don't get hung up on that. I talked with a man. I taught this one time. I think I was in Australia. And this, it was at this man's church. He was probably 60, you know. I was, I was a punk. I was in my 30s. And uh, 
he, um, he pulled me into his office after I taught, and, he, and he's weeping. He's crying. And he said, I just realized that I've wasted my entire life because I've not done what I was called to do. And I said, okay, well, let's back up here. I said, have you loved God? Have you loved people? Have you tried to do exactly what God? Yes, my whole life. Then you haven't missed it? You've got to be kidding me. You know, you got great fruit. I just taught in this church. Your fruit was awesome, dude. You know, don't, don't beat yourself about that. Let's just say from this point on now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with whatever God has for me next. Don't throw your life away, you know, what you accomplished, because you did great stuff. So I don't want you to get, as I talk about this, I don't want you to get hung up and like, oh, my gosh, you know, I just my life's been useless. No, no, no. No, no, no. It, it, if you love God and you love people and you're doing your best to listen and, and obey, man, you're so far ahead of the game. And here's the other thing. Whatever it is you love the most, whatever you're drawn toward the most, that's really where your purpose is. It's right around there somewhere. It's always right around there. Because that's what draws you to do those things. For me, I had to be a performer. I had to be in front of people. And I mean, I, I remember in fifth grade, and a lot of stuff happened in fifth and sixth grade to me. In fifth grade, I bought a, uh, um, a magician's kit. And so I would put on shows for my family. You know, because I just had to do something. You know, later in life, after I, I quit professional circus in that, little, in that year in between, I ended up becoming a master illusionist at Bush Gardens in Tampa, Florida. And I was making people appear and disappear and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was awesome. It was like a dream come true. You know, I'm thinking, gosh, when I started when I was five years old with that little kid, you know. My point is, whatever you're drawn to, the thing you love the most, that's probably really close to what your purpose is all about. We'll talk more about that as we go along. Okay, you guys okay with all this? Okay. So your calling is never revoked, but it's your choice whether you do anything with it, right? So it's the invitation, and even though the people around you may be saying no, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It only matters what God said, because he's the one who gave it to you. He's the only one who can take it away, and he promised you he would never take it away. All right? So if you have a dream in your heart, if you have something that's been in you since you were small, or something you've been in for years and years and years, you're just like, man, I, just, I think about this all the time, that's because it's probably God, I mean, if it's good, and he wants you to do it. Right? I mean, I'm 64. I, st I, I made a list, and we're going to talk about this. I made a list when I was in, in my teens of all the things I ever wanted to do in my life. I still got a lot of stuff to do. And you know what? God loves it that I want to do them. And 99% of them have nothing to do with the church. Ooh, can you do that and be a Christian? I don't know. <laughs> Especially you're a minister, dude. What are you doing? No. God, you know, I used to do that when I did my slack wire act, you know, that you guys saw this morning. I was doing that act one time, and I just loved doing that because it freaked people out, you know. And it was just the thrill. I mean, it was an adrenaline rush, all that kind of stuff. And I'm, uh, I'm in the middle of a show one day, and the Lord says, I love it that you love this. I just went, that's the coolest thing I ever heard. God telling me he loved the fact that I love doing something. It's the same way with you. He put that in you, because that calling in you because he loves you. So let's talk about being appointed. Appointed is a strategic placement, and Paul talks about it, that we're placed and set 
He was placed and set as an apostle. That's 2 Timothy 1.11. I'm not going to read all these scriptures. You can go back and look at them the same, some other time. But he talked about, the interesting thing is the same word we use as set as members in the body is the same word Paul used when he said, I am appointed. Now, we don't have any problem saying, hey, yeah, I'm appointed in the body. I'm, I'm a part of the body. But if I say, no, you're specifically set in the body, just the same as Paul was set as an apostle, people start to tilt because we don't think of ourselves as equal to that, to, to Paul or the apostles. <clears throat> but in the kingdom, in the kingdom, the value of every one of us is exactly the same. In the marketplace here, it's different, depending on what you know, what your skill set is, maybe what, you're in, what you, know, you know in your brain. But in the kingdom, it's all the same. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what your calling. Your calling is irrelevant as far as value goes in the kingdom. You know, the people, what we've done is we've turned the people on the platform into a star and into little mini-gods and all that stuff, and we worship them, which is nonsense because, as I said this morning, we're just UP, we're UPS drivers, we're FedEx drivers, we're, we're the guy with the orange apron and Home Depot. That's all we are. We're here to equip. We are not here to do all the work. But we look at somebody who's got a microphone on, and they're on a stage, and we go, woo. God doesn't do that. He looks at you and goes, whoa, you are awesome. And he, it doesn't matter who you are. The pay is the same. In uh, the parable of the talents, you got three guys. They're given lots of money. Two of them double it. One of them buries it. The two guys who doubled it, one doubled five, one doubled two, they got the exact same reward. And it's not about what they were given responsibility over. It's about they were allowed to enter into the joy of their master. That's the reward. And see, when we do the same, we, we do what we're called to do. We do what God's called us to do. That's what we hear. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done. Well done. Well, one guy doubled five, one guy doubled two. How is that equitable? Because it's not about that. It's about what did you do with what you were responsible for. That's all. Pretty simple. You know, I talk with a lot of single moms. They always come up to me and say, well, yeah, I'm just a single mom. I go, no, 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 you're not just a single mom. You are a master author. And you have all these little books with pages that are blank. And you get to write on the first six years of pages. Right? What's better than that? You get to take these lives that can be directed in any possible direction, and you get to point them toward the Lord. That responsibility is humongous, number one, but the glory of doing it for the Lord and Him leading you and your kids when they're taught and they're, they're um, instructed when they're young and they love Jesus and they get born again when they're young, when they're old, they're not going to run away from that. That's awesome. So if you got any moms in here, especially single moms, my daughter was a single mom for the first six years of her son's life. But she, I watched her pour Jesus into that kid. He's amazing now. He's about 13 now. Just amazing. And it's because I watched what she did. Okay, so don't belittle yourself. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what you think your, your calling is or if you, whether you ever had one. The pay is the same. The pay is the same. The value is the same. It doesn't matter. 
If you never go to the mission field, the pay's the same. If you never get out of town, the pay's the same. And if you travel all over the world and you have some humongous ministry, the pay's the same. People go, oh, I'm Billy, going up to heaven. Billy Graham's going to have this huge, you know, mansion, and I'm going to have this little shack over here. Can I tell you, you're not going to have a little shack, number one, anywhere. But number two, if you did exactly what you were called, called to do, and he did exactly what he was called to do, your mansions are going to be just the same. It's not about how much you did here. It's how faithful were you to what he told you to do. Okay, got that? All right. Okay, so God's placed each of us in the body as he desires. And we all have different functions geared to who we are. I mean, I talk to people and go, oh, you know, I wish I could be a speaker. Do you really want to be a speaker? Well, no. Why do you say that then? Well, because you get to you help all these people. I said, no, that's because what I'm made for. You would be in a disaster if it's not what you're made for. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not trying to, I'm not wasn't even trying to be funny, but it's true. You, because you don't want to, you want to do what you're made for. Right? We're all designed for, you know, my feet, nobody hardly ever sees my feet, which is a wonderful thing. Okay? But everybody sees my face. People see my face all the time. Have you ever seen a face walk through the door by itself? No, doesn't happen. You don't see faces floating around the room. They got to have feet, bring them in. So are the, are the feet, which nobody sees, better than the face everybody sees? No, and that's the way it is with the kingdom. You are placed in the body specifically because you have these gifts, you have all these things that God wants you to have to make you the person that's absolutely needed in that spot. And there is no difference any more than there is between my feet and my face. Right, as far as value goes. Now, here's the other thing. Every, anything, whatever, you, whatever you're called to do, <clears throat> it's going to be somehow you're going to be interacting within the seven mountains of influence. You all understand what that is? Anybody who does never heard about the seven mountains of influence? Anybody at all? Okay, a couple of you. Okay, I'm going to do it real quick. <clears throat> seven mountains of influence. Um, Bill Bright and uh, Lauren Cunningham, they headed up. Um, youth with a Mission and uh, Campus Crusade, right? And they both had a dream on this, pretty much around the same time. The Lord told them to get together. They got together, and they told each other the dream. <clears throat> they had the same dream. They also they saw seven mountains, and they saw an eighth mountain above it. All right? Is that seven? One, two, three, four, six. Okay. Um, so they saw seven mountains, and the Lord said, look, these are the spheres of influence in any given society. So they were, like, they were, come on, they were family, government, media, education, uh, entertainment, and what am I missing? Commerce, thank you, commerce, and church. And actually, I don't use church, I use religion. <clears throat> now, there's a reason I use religion. So here's your seven mountains, and the, everything that happens in society is influenced by the people who are in these mountains, who run these mountains. They're called the mind molders, right? These are the people who decide what you get to think about that has to do with any one of these. So with your family, it's your parents, maybe your siblings, 
government, it's, you know, whatever laws they pass. Media, it's the news. Education, it's your teachers. Entertainment, it's, you know, the actors, singers, whatever. In commerce, it's the people who run the business. And in the religious mountain, it depends on what religion you're in. So the people who run all those things, sorry, I'm, I've gotten ahead of myself a little bit here, but that's okay. The people who run all those things, they don't tell you what to, th- what, they don't tell you how to think, but they give you the options of what to think about. Okay, and they also, they control the gates to each one of these, right? I mean, how many of you caused yourself to be conceived and born? Nobody, right? So your parents, they own the gate. So in the government, if you're not a part, you have to be elected into the government, and then anybody who thinks that there's not uh, some control issues going on in the government doesn't know government, okay? So you don't just get to go in and be in the government, do you? You don't just get to go be in the media. You have to earn your way in to every one of these. And there's people there that say whether you earned it or not, whether you can be in it or not. You have dues to pay and all that kind of stuff. So we're all going to operate in these. We're all, every one of you is going to operate in one or more of these mountains with whatever you're called to do. But you're not supposed to do it from here. You're supposed to do it from here. That's why I don't use the church here. Because here, religion rules that mountain. This is where the church lives, up here. We live here. We rule from here. The city on a hill is up here. Not over here. It's up here. This is the city, right? This is, this is where the city is. It's up here. And we rule. We're the city on this hill that all these are looking at. We're not over here because over here, they don't see us over there. They don't pay attention to the church. They don't pay attention. People don't care about the church. They don't care about us because they look at us as irrelevant. They look at us as powerless. They look at because all they see is, and please don't misunderstand me here, all they see is the church services that are on TV on a Sunday morning, which is usually Baptist, which is usually powerless, and usually just a lot of singing and a, and a message. Nobody's getting healed. Sometimes people get saved. Nobody's getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Nobody's casting out demons. You're not hearing amazing testimonies of how people's lives have been radically changed, pulled out of drugs, all those kind of things. That's not what's on TV. That's what most people see. Or they watch some goofy Christian movie that the only song in it is what? Amazing Grace. (laughs) As if that's the only Christian song ever written, right? So it's it's a religious mountain. They look at us, they look at the Christians and they think, oh, you're just religious, you're no different than any other religion. And you know what? They're right, if that's all they know. But if they see this and they see us living from here with power and authority and with our, with our, in our purposes, in our destinies, that's a different deal. When we're coming from here with the solutions to everything they need, with the power and the anointing of God, because that's what you can do when you're walking in your purpose. That changes the game for everything. And so if we're living here, say we're in the media mountain, we're, we want to be a journalist, you want whatever. If you're living here, as far as where you work, you work here, but you live here, you bring this to that mountain. Does that make sense to you? 
So that's what the seven mountains is about. It's about us living from the kingdom, bringing it into the mountains every, all the time. That's what we're called to do all the time. So you got that? Is that okay? Okay. That's a really quick <laughs> overview of that one. Um, so I want you to turn to page, let's see, get rid of that right there. Turn to page um, 11. Turn to page 11. We're going to talk about a point that I jumped ahead there. So on page 11, it says, write down where you feel you are appointed in the body of Christ and why. And if you can't answer that, just say, this is where I think I'd like to be. All right? I'm going to give you just a few minutes. Go ahead. Start writing. And I apologize, normally I'd have music going right now. No, don't do that. <laughs> Let's see if this does anything. Can you hear that? Why don't you give me a mic here? Can you get that mic? We'll do it old school for now. Is that working? Okay, you need to write it down. Here's where I feel I'm appointed and why. Some people write a paragraph, some people write a sentence. I get it. And remember, I'm not talking about in the church building or in your local church. I'm talking about in the body of Christ. Okay? Two different things. Okay, turn to the person next to you, and I may not be done. Share with them whatever you wrote down. Out loud. 
And if there's three at a table, just all three of you share one at a time. That's fine. Okay, okay, let's bring it back in. Let's bring it back in. Okay, let me ask you a question. How many of you found that hard to do? Write down. Hold it way up, hold it way up, look around. Okay, because I want you to see, it is difficult. You know why it's difficult? It isn't just because you may not know, it's because you don't have permission. We have not given the body of Christ permission to think about themselves. We have not given the body of Christ permission to meditate about who am I, what am I supposed to do, what does God want me to do, who am I in the body of Christ, so they can get confident enough to actually be that person. So what we do, the reason I have you do these drills and then share it with someone else, is so that you begin to say, this is who I am. This is who God made me, because that's a good thing to do. Okay? Is that all right? So we're going to do this a lot. In fact, we're going to do one in just a moment here, another one. So I want to go quickly over these seven realms again. Just, just, we are appointed, you're appointed in more than one. Of course, the value is the same, but you have to live from the eighth mountain. So let me just, just so you make sure you understand these. Family is the foundation. That's God's foundation for everything, his family, right? <coughs> religion, religion is just a faith in something bigger than you. That can be good and bad, and we know what that means. Government is really man's invention, not so much God's. God is, he has his own government, but for men, it was all about families and covenants. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? Because when they said, we want a king, he said, that's a bad idea. He said, I'm, you know, he was the king. 
There were definitely people who were overseers. You had Moses, you had the 70, you had all those kind of things. But the actual creation of government was more a man's idea. He's about families, about covenants. Education, there's over 200 references in Proverbs just about understanding and learning. The, the whole idea for education is to increase the value of people. It strengthens a nation, uh, keeps progress going in the world. Education is a great thing. Commerce, that's business. Second uh, Corinthians 9.8 um, God is able to make all grace abound to you, said, always having all sufficiency and everything you may have an abundance for every good deed. That's kingdom right there. You know what I find? Most Christians have no abundance in anything and don't get much done. I mean, and if I was the devil, that's what I'd do, wouldn't you? I would try and keep Christians sick and poor because that's the thing that John, or third John 2 says that we should have the most of, health and, and financial blessing or material blessing. But the devil keeps us opposite and keeps us thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, if I got enough for me and mine, you know, that's cool. No, it's not. That's selfish. Okay, so what you have to do is you always have to think about what's the kingdom. What is the kingdom aspect of things? The kingdom aspect, aspect of things is we should be in commerce and we should be increasing in our commerce and increasing in our finances and not decreasing. You know, I think retirement is one of the dumbest things ever created. I'm not talking about retirement where you just you stop doing what you did for 30 years. I'm talking about the idea of living on Social Security because it takes away your incentive. Because they tell you, if you earn this much money in a year, you can't have much more money. In fact, we're going to start taking it away if you start earning more. You know what I say? I don't want your money. I want to keep earning money. I hope I earn enough money where you never give me any money. Because that little bit you're going to give me, $1,000 or something a month, I mean, you really think I'm going to live on that and do anything for the kingdom on that? Not in this country. Right? That's just a soapbox of mine. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get into that. Okay. Commerce. So entertainment. Entertainment can bring emotional and physical release. It can bring joy and excitement. But it's got to be morally strong. Would you say that's a tenant of entertainment in this nation? No. <clears throat> the media is a tool to increase and strengthen all other realms. Information uh, gives information, but it must be unbiased as possible and morally upright as possible to function properly. Is any of that happening? No. So whoever rules those mountains rules a nation. Now, in this nation right now, there's not one of those seven mountains that is run by the church, run by the kingdom. None of them. Not in this country. And if you think there are, you're very mistaken. Now, are there Christians in all of those? Absolutely there are. Can we get to the point where we're having great influence in every one of those? Yes. Will we necessarily be at the top of all of them? I don't know. Not worried about that. I, it's just about influence. I want to influence the influencers. I want the church to be influencing the influencers, changing the way they think because they see something different in us, because they see we're not living down here, we're living up here, right? That's the difference. So it doesn't matter where you are. You could be, maybe you're the janitor in a giant corporation in the building. You know what? You should go in there every day and say, this is my ministry. Everybody in this building is here for me to be a witness to and for the Holy Spirit to flow through me with all of his gifts because he anointed me and appointed me to this place. And if you're the only Christian in there, you have more spiritual authority than everybody else combined. You get that? You have more spiritual authority 
than anyone else in your company, in whatever field you're in, whatever mountain you're in, if there's no other Christians there, you are the most authoritative person in the spirit there is. Okay? It's, you're not, it's not about your paycheck. It's about your papa. Do you get that? It's about who lives in you. Because if you really believe that the Holy Spirit lives in you and that he wants to flow through you with all of his gifts, what are you worried about? You can do anything. You can, I mean, why couldn't you? Listen, what if, and this happened, remember 9-11, people got stuck in elevators? And there was, <laughs> in one of the elevators, a true story, there's all these executives, they're pulling out their cell phones. This other guy, he smashes the thing out on top and gets out and opens up the doors and says, come follow me. Gets them all out of there and they all get, they all, they don't die. Right? Do you think they like that guy? Do you think he had influence in their life after that? Of course he did. Well, same with us. See, we have the answer to every problem in the world. Let me say that again. We have the answers to every problem in the world. How can you say that? Very easily. We have the answers to every problem in the world because the one who made the world lives in us. He knows everything. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to, ah, i got to figure this out. No, I don't. All I need to do is say, hey, what's the answer? And just listen. So it's not about, not about your paycheck. Remember, that's marketplace value. It's about what's your kingdom value. It's the same as everybody else's. And Jesus said, you can do everything I did and greater. He said, I'm sending you the same way I was sent. That means I have the same number of angels. I have the same Holy Spirit. I have the same power, the same authority. I have everything he had. If that's true, and it is, then I should be affecting whatever mountain I'm in every single day just by letting him live through me. You get this? Okay. So it doesn't matter what you're called to. It doesn't matter what your appointment is. None of that matters. Okay. Let's go to page. What page is that? Oh, have I got it up here? No. Um, I didn't think I put it on there. Did I put it on there? Nope. So it's the next page. Page, what is that? Page 12. Okay. Now on this page... Says, write down what, how you feel you fit. Listen to what that means. How you feel you fit, not just what mountain. How you feel you fit, and how you or how you want to fit in any of the seven mountains. Not just, hey, this is where I am, but how and why. You know, give a little bit ex- explanation to that. All right, ready? Go ahead. Let me play the music from up here. There's a specific reason I do that. I'm playing different music for different events based on what we're doing, okay?
Okay, turn the person next to you. I know some of you aren't done. Uh, just share with them what you wrote down.
Okay, all right, let's bring it, bring it back down. I know it's difficult to come out of that after you get started, but we have to. So was that easier or harder? How many think it was easier than the last one? How many think it was harder than the last one? How many of you would never raise your hand after you? Right. <clears throat> I promise you it'll get easier as we go. That's a difficult one because you're really having to say, hey, I'm recognizing who I am and where I belong. And that's difficult if you have never thought about it before. So even if you said, I'm not really sure. I mean, easily we could all say, yeah, I'm in the family. I mean, we all come from a family, no matter what kind of family it is. Uh, but there, you're probably in more than just the family, right? You're for sure in this. You're for sure in the city set on this hill. The way this works is everything is based on relationship. So when you come into the seven mountains, whatever mountain you're going to be in or mountains, it's there, you're there to build relationships with people. You're there to let people know that you like them, care for them. Maybe you don't like them, but at least you love them. Uh, and that you care about them and that you have solutions for them. And that you know, even if it's, hey, you know, I'll pray for you. Even if you just listen. A lot of people need somebody to listen. But you're building relationships here so that because of the relationship you have with the Lord here, he can speak to you about what this person needs down here. But if you don't know that person, if you don't have that relationship it's difficult because I haven't met a lot of Christians that just get words of knowledge about, hey, this person has a problem, and here's what it is. Go tell, go tell them you got a solution. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. But if I go to the Lord and I say, hey, this person, you know, they, they have a real problem like me with my son. I had people come to us. They saved us. They saved our family by praying for us and by ministering to us, okay, telling us how to handle the, in, in the judicial system for us. And they saved our family. And I needed them, but I had real deep relationships with those people, okay? They came from heaven with solutions for us. And my son, on fire, loves Jesus with all his heart, has, you know, three wonderful kids and a wonderful wife, and he's, he's amazing. Okay, he came out of that at the age of 16. So he was in it for two years, like 14 to 16. He came out of that, went to YWAM, all that kind of stuff. Just amazing what he became. But we needed people. Everybody needs people. Okay, so we're going to take a five-minute break. And you can stretch uh, if you need to use the restroom. Please do that, and then we're going to jump into the next session. If we handed you a workbook and uh, some of you were trying to pay, like what were you handing out, you can go ahead and just uh, pay in the lobby, and they'll take care of you out there. So thanks so much, guys. And and if no, you, oh, yeah. and. If you said, I, don't, I can't afford one, pick it up anyway. I'll buy yours, okay? Anybody who can't, didn't say they couldn't afford, please go get one because it's too important not to. I'll take care of yours. Well, we're actually sold out, so. Well, there you go. <laughs> so. That's why I said it because I knew it wouldn't cost me anything. <laughs> I got some water here. Thanks, man.
We can go, if we've got a Kinko's or something, we can go print some more. Redo it, yeah. Do it, on, do it on the study notes or do it on the back or something. So, like, but now when we're reading the book, it'll kind of. Yeah, it'll flesh it out. So the book is available on Amazon. Yes. Right for other people to buy, right? Oh yeah. Okay. What about the workbook? No, you need to get that from us. You yeah. have to get the workbook yeah. from you. Um, well, they're out of them here. I know. Yeah. Um, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna leave them the um, the PDF, and then they can print them themselves. Okay. So you can get them straight from there. I. Okay. One of the things I wanted to do is.
Okay, okay. Shh, shh, shh. Let's come back in, find our seats. Thank you. Thing is, you get used to talking, and you just want to keep talking, which is okay. You know, I do this with my uh, high school class, and in my high school class, I have juniors, sophomores, and seniors all in one class, and I don't even know them well enough to know who's in what class. And so when we do this, we do these exercises, and then they have to talk. I got seniors talking, telling their things about themselves to sophomores. Dad, you don't do that, right? Yeah. Right, and vice versa. And because I don't know who's who, I, have, I keep switching them around in the room so they don't sit next to the same person all the time. And so I thought, wow, this could be a big problem. Not a bit. These guys just jump all over it. And so I was talking with the, the guidance counselor about this after. I said, why did why are they, they, they just jump on this. I mean, it's like all of a sudden the class stuff disappears and they're just, they're just young people. And she goes, social media. They're all on social media. They're used to talking about themselves on social media. You know, my generation, we're not. I don't even use it, right? But I, I just noticed, I thought it was just really cool that, that the ages all of a sudden disappear and they just start talking about themselves. So I know we have a very... Um, a varied age group situation here, too. I don't think it's quite as big a deal for us. Okay. So was that okay, that first session? Um, we're going to get into now a little bit more about deeper things about you personally. Um, the first one was more of a setup, more of the foundational. This is, um, now we're going to get into how to be fully equipped. This is verse, uh, page 13. If Jesus said, I'm sending you the same way I was sent, we have to have all the equipment he had, don't we? We have to have everything that he has. Otherwise, he was lying. And I don't think he was. I don't think he did, ever did. So uh, that means we need to know what our equipment is and how we get it and what we do with it. So first of all, uh, we've been consecrated and ordained as priests. Now, the word consecrated or ordained means to fill the hand. You're equipping someone. You're giving them what they need. So when Jesus, you know, when God ordained or uh, consecrated the priests in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, he was filling their hand with what? The spiritual ability to carry out the law, to carry out the, uh, the sacrifices and do what they were called to do as Levites. Well, in Revelation chapter 1, it says... Verse 6 says, we, he made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. In chapter 5, verse 10, it says, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. If you're a priest, you have to be equipped like a priest. You have to be, have your hand filled just like they did, and just like Jesus did. To rule and to reign uh, now, he, didn't, he wasn't talking about in the millennium. He wasn't talking about after everything's gone in the new Jerusalem. He's talking about now we reign. We reign now. We reign in those seven mountains now. Again, it doesn't mean you're running everything, and it's not dominion. It's not domination. It's relationship. It's caring for people. You know, we call it the prayer, care, share method of evangelism. 
you pray for somebody, you target a specific person or a specific situation with prayer, and then you're asking the Lord, give me an opportunity to show I care for this person with your power, with your anointing. And then when I do that, after I've done that, give me an opportunity, open their hearts so I can share who Jesus is and how this all happened. So it's prayer, care, shares. That's all relationship. In fact, in the New Testament, there's 31 another's where it says, do this with one another, love one another, care for one another, fellowship with one another, bear one another. And there's 30 of them. None of them can you do by yourself. Can't do any of them. You got to have people. You got to have relationships. And it's the same way when we get out into the world. We don't, we don't want to throw those things away. We want to use those. Those are tools. That's equipment in our hand. So when we talk about being consecrated or set apart, it's all about that. It's being equipped. And that happened when you're born again. But as you grow, you learn how to use that equipment. One of those things that you're given is the gift of favor. Favor is an awesome thing. Favor is what opens doors when it's impossible for them to be opened, shuts doors when it's impossible for them to be shut. It's the thing that causes people to say, hey, you know what? I, I like you. I want to do something with you. What can I help you with? And you haven't asked them to do anything. I have had times, and we all have, I've had some crazy favor in my life. Just no reason why any of it, any of it should have happened. And uh, one, of those, um, one of those was that when our circus was over, um, the Lord said, I want you to pursue the prophetic full time. Lay the circus down, pursue the prophetic. I said, sure, what's that? And this is 1989. I didn't know what that meant. And uh, so I started looking. He didn't, because, you know, here's the thing. God loves to play hide and seek, right? He loves that because he tells you something, then you got to go find him. Well, what are you talking about, you know? So I started looking about everything that had to do with the prophetic, started reading every book I could find, which there were not a lot then. And a friend of mine came through town, and he said, hey, um, let's have lunch. I said, yeah, great. You know, so we're having lunch. We hadn't seen him in about a, two years, and he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm pursuing the prophetic full time, whatever that means. <laughs> and he goes, oh, you're coming to Kansas City. And I said, what? Because what I heard him say was, you're moving to Kansas City. At this point, I was living in Tampa, Florida. We just laid the circus down. And in fact, we still had some more shows to do it was in that year, and then we'd be done. And I said, what did you say? He said, oh, you need to come to Kansas City. We're having this big conference. He starts telling me about Bob Jones and Mike Bickle and all these crazy prophets that live out there. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. Let's go. So went out there for the conference. Uh, this was April 1989. And uh, all kinds of things happened there. Anyway, um, the first night I get there, the dream machine turned on. I mean, I had like <clears throat> 10 dreams that night. And the next day I had probably five or six visionary revelations. I mean, it was just crazy. I mean, I had this one vision where the Lord was showing me something specific, and then a prophetic song came forth that was the exact description of what I just saw. I mean, this just exploded instantly. And uh, anyway, and the Lord said, hey, I want you to move here. So I said, okay, when? He goes, immediately. Immediately to me is like tomorrow. Immediately with him is a year. Okay, Jesus said, I'm coming when? Soon. 2,000 years. Not my idea of soon, but um, so anyway, we moved there a year later, and uh, we're sitting. Uh, this is this is. Uh, if you know any, if you knew anything about the prophetic movement in the early '90s, Kansas City was the hub in America. In fact, one of those in the world. 
and Mike Bickle's church, which is now IHOP, you know, if you guys know International House of Prayer, that didn't exist then. Um, that came around 2000. But uh, while, I, while we were there, we'd been there about a month, and then a prophet named Paul Kane. How many of you heard of Paul? Have you heard of Paul? Okay, amazing man. Um, he called us out by name. He said, Bill and Meg, where are you? And uh, we're like, whoa. So we stand up, and he goes, this is the most interesting word I had all morning. Because see, what he would do, I talked to him about this years later. I said, how do you get these words? Because he'd, he'd had three by five cards. He'd read them off the cards. I said, I said, the faith it takes to write that down. He goes, it doesn't take faith when there's an angel standing next to you telling you what to write down. I said, you saw the angel? He says, yes, I saw the angel. All right, so that's how he operated. So I thought, well, that's not fair at all, but, <laughs> you know, whatever. I don't get to choose. So, so he called us out, and he goes, now, this is the most interesting word to have today. He said, the Lord told me your life has been like a circus. I said, bingo. Um, and then he says, no, 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 it wasn't like a circus. Oh, you were, you were in the circus. And then he goes, oh, you owned your own circus. Whoa. So he said, the Lord wants you to know you're in the perfect geographic will of God. He goes, I don't say that to hardly anybody. And that was all he said. And I sat down with Megan. I goes, he didn't tell us anything we didn't know. What was that about? <laughs> Because, I mean, really, we knew God told us to move. There was no issue with us, because I'm going to teach you tomorrow about the, the seven ways to know that you always hear from God. So we knew we were supposed to be there. That wasn't an issue. I'm like, what was that about? I was waiting for some big cataclysmic, you know, word, oh, you're going to be an awesome monster God, you know, guy. Nah, that didn't happen. So anyway, the next day, uh, Mike Bickle and, and a couple of guys, they said, hey, can you come in and meet with us? I said, Yeah. And he said, look, we want you to know something. Paul has never said those words to anyone about you're in the perfect geographic will. And he said, we've had hundreds of people move here wanting to join staff. And I said, I, don't, I, didn't, ever, I didn't come here to join staff. I just came here because God said to come here. And they said, yeah, we know. That's why we want you to join staff. <laughs> so I said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, we want you to be like our utility pastor. And I said, well, I'll do whatever you want. You know, so anyway, went on staff. They didn't pay me for six months. <laughs> I had to live off my whatever I sold my house for, um, which was fine. So, um, so I became the utility pastor, you know, which meant anything they needed, I did it, whether it was arranging chairs or whether it was, you know, and what he basically said, hey, bring order to the service because it was very chaotic. Listen, you throw several hundred prophets into a room. <laughs> I mean... And their kids. So anyway, so I ended up on staff there. Well, that was the favor of God, absolute favor of God. I had nothing to do. It was never thought in my mind. Yet there were people who were, they were begging God, crying out to God to please let them be on staff. And I didn't even care. I, seriously, I didn't. It's just, well, this is what God wants me to do. That's fine. I, you know, I, I've been on church staffs. I had my own my own. You know, my own uh, staff, I had my own ministry. It, this didn't matter to me. I'm just here to learn, right? So how many of you know who James, James Gall is? You guys know who James is? Okay, James is one of my closest friends. But the first time I met James, and I'm just telling you how favor works here, okay? I'm giving you some favor stories. The first time I met James, I was walking into a restaurant. He was walking out of the restaurant. This was, there was a conference going on, the second conference we went to in uh, June of 89, 
And so I had my little lanyard on, you know, my name and all that, and he had his on. He goes, oh, you're at the conference. Now, we're in between doors. The doors are open. We're, we're just standing there. He goes, oh, you're at the conference? I said, yeah. And uh, he said, why are you here? I said, because God told us to come here. We're going to move here. Really? Why? And, this is, and he's, he's about this, this friendly with it. Why? I said, I don't know. He just told me to move here. He told me to pursue the prophetic full time. He said, what kind of confirmation do you have? I said, well, you know, named a couple things, and I had some prophets. He goes, what prophets? And I'm thinking, I'm about to punch this guy. You know, and so I told him, he goes, well, I've heard bad things about that guy. And I just said, well, have a nice day, you know. Walked in the restaurant. I thought, what a jerk. Who the heck was that? You know, so that was, you know, both Meg and I were like, God, that guy, what the heck? So the next day, um, it's John Wimber's at the conference, and, you know, it's all kinds of stuff. So Mike grabs Meg and I, myself, and says, hey, come with us. We're going to go to the green room, have lunch. And so he's got John Wimber on one side. He's got me and Meg on the other side, and we're walking to the green room. I'm thinking, what the heck is going on? This is just the wildest thing. Now, we haven't moved here yet, right? We're just, we just had a conference. So we get over into the green room. Mike goes over and sits down with, with uh, John and some other guys, leaves us at the door, forgets we exist. And another guy comes over and he goes, did you come in with Mike? He said, yeah, he's forgot you, right? I said, it looks that way. He goes, oh, yeah, sorry about that. Come on over, get something to eat. So we're getting something to eat. And then, then Mike stands up. He goes, Bill, come over here. Come over here. So I go over and he goes, hey, Jim, come over here. Jim Gall stands up in the corner. And I go, it's the jerk. I mean, literally, that's what I said. <laughs> so he comes over, and Mike goes, hey, Jim, this is Bill. Bill, this is Jim. You guys are going to be best friends. Go talk. I'm like, you're no prophet. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, really? But Jim and I, I mean, it was within a few minutes we had forgotten about the day before, and we are starting to become friends. And he became, he's probably one of my closest friends, top two or three in the world. <clears throat> and it has been for 20 years, 25 years, whatever, however long that is. And it's, it's just one of those things where the favor of God, because what that did is it opened up the door to the top prophets of the day. I mean, that because who Jim was and who Mike was, because what the favor that I all of a sudden had with them, now I'm sitting in Bob Jones' living room on a weekly basis while he's teaching us not because I wasn't there by myself, he was teaching us about how to operate in the prophetic and how to, you know, about dreams and visions and all this. And listen, anytime you had an audience with Bob, it was an absolute privilege and one of the weirdest things you've ever been involved in. <laughs> but it was awesome. And so there's favor. I, did, I, I just go, I did nothing for that, you know, and that's, that's how favor works. Favor is a gift that you can call upon. Because God wants to give you favor, you're going to need favor, and you're going to need to give people favor. So if you want favor, you should sow favor. I'm always looking for ways to help people, just open up doors for them, connect them with somebody maybe that will help them or they can help. Because I'm giving them favor, I'm going to get favor back. Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm expecting favor. It's one of the things I declare over myself and my family. Favor happens. It just happens. I could give you story after story. It just happens. I was, I was telling uh, um, Jim uh, about this today, about a man who's coming to speak uh, at our church, and, uh, at our church, not at our church, at a, at a conference we're doing in, in uh, October next month. And this man 
he runs with the billionaires of the world. I mean, he, he, there's no reason in the world he and I should even be having a conversation. And yet he's become a good friend, and he's going to come down to our little town of 1,000 people for a fraction of what he usually charges, which is what he charges is six figures for what he's coming to do with us. And just because God told him to, because he, God gave us favor, right? But it's also because I've been declaring favor over us for decades, Okay, I believe it. Remember, everything in the book belongs to you. Doesn't mean you got it, though. Right? Salvation belongs to every person on the planet. Is everybody saved? Mm -mm. Healing belongs to everybody. Is everybody healed? No. Okay, so you have, to, you have to acquire these things. God wants to give it to you, but you have to ask him for it. You have to seek it out. Okay? All right, so favor is a big deal. Favor is a big deal deal. It's a wonderful thing. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to do a little bit of drill here. There's not a page to turn to, but on the page right next to your um, thing is just study notes. I want you to write down, if you can, at least three times where you have experienced favor. At if, you, if you've had that many. But write down where you've had favor, where it's just obvious that God just, you know, pulled your file and said, I want this person to have this favor, okay? So write down as many as you can, at least three if you can. Think all the way back to before you were even born again if you need to, because he's always been working, right? Go ahead. That's just to get you going. Don't give up your day job, Jim.
Okay, turn the person next to you, share with them whatever you wrote down. Okay, all right, let's bring it back in. Okay. <clears throat> so why am I having you do things like that? You need to stir yourself up and remind yourself of what God's done. Yes. Right? It's the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony that overcomes the devil. So when you get discouraged, what did it say? What did, um, it says that, that David stirred himself up. He reminded himself, you know what? I killed the lion, I killed the bear. I think I'm going to take your head off too. Okay, so sometimes you just need to remember the things that God's done for you, the favor that you've had, and then call upon it again. If it happened once, it can happen again. If it happened to someone else, it can happen to you because God's no respecter of persons. You know, he says that eight times in scripture that he's no respecter of persons. Think he meant it. Okay, let's talk about your gifts. So now we're getting into you. Okay, your gifts. You have spiritual gifts, physical gifts, intellectual gifts, social gifts, financial gifts, personality. I mean, emotional. I mean, you have so many gifts. We we have gift packages. Um, we're we're not. We don't just have one gift. Okay, God does, God gives clusters of gifts to people. Okay, so for me personally. I always had, I had um, great 
motor skill. I had great control of my physical body. I could do so many different things physically and do it well. But I also had this gift where I could talk to anybody about anything and make them feel good or you know, like I was their friend or whatever. Um, so those two combined, that's why the circus worked so well. It wasn't just because I was a great performer or that I was a great speaker, but you combine the two and you just, it's amazing. I mean, 25,000 people born again in 12 years is pretty cool, especially when we were part-time, not full-time, all right? So, and that's probably very conservative. We tried to stay very conservative with our estimates. And thousands of people born again. Can I give you a story? Just, let me just give you one of these stories. We were in a prison one time, and this is actually on, uh, on my website where you can download these for free. There's a couple other things on for free. There's... Um, there's an MP3 of healing scriptures and then lots of our testimonies. And then there's one for abundance and lots of testimonies. So I would say go download. Those are free. About an hour's worth on each one of those. So we're in this prison. And uh, we've been, you know, we're doing our thing. We're, we're doing, we would, every act was introduced as an object lesson. And then we give our personal testimonies at the end about every other act. And then at the end of the show, I ended with my wire act and I would always give the gospel and you know, pull the net in so you wanted to be born again. And then we'd pray for the sick or whatever afterwards, too. So we're in this one prison. And uh, I get to the end of the show, and we've been preaching. Everybody's doing really good. We're in a gymnasium, about 150 prisoners. And so as I'm walking to the mic, the Lord said, tell them this, to send somebody out into the, to you in the middle of the floor who's sick or injured and you're going to pray for them. And if I don't heal them instantly, everything you told them is a lie and you'll never preach again. I mean, that was like this fast. And I went, okay. So I said that. And all of my troop, they kind of backing up. You know, they're like, what did you just say? So I said, who's here? You know, you guys send somebody. Who's in, anybody injured, anybody sick? They all pointed this guy in the front row. And so I said, well, come on out here. Well, he comes out. He can barely walk. He is hobbling. His ankle's all swollen up. I said, what would you do? He goes, oh, I twisted it or broke it or something yesterday playing basketball. And I said, okay, you guys know he's here. We didn't bring him with us. This is one of your guys, right? Yes, okay. So I said, I'm going to put my hand on you, and God's going to heal you. And when he does, I want you to run around this gymnasium. And he said, yeah, right. Just like that. He goes, sure. I mean, he had no faith for this whatsoever and no reason why he should. So I said, but if he does, you'll do it? Well, yeah, sure, whatever, you know. So I, I put my hand on his shoulder, and literally it felt like I stuck my finger in a light socket. The two of us just stood, and we're just shaking just like this. And I said, you ever felt that before? And he goes, not since the last time I had a needle in my arm. And we're, you know, and we are, we're just shaking just like this, right? And it stopped, and I said, how's your ankle? And he puts a little weight on it, and his eyes go like this, looking at me, and uh, all the guys, they're all on the edge of their seat, they're looking like this, right? And I said, put a little more weight on it. He put a little more weight on it. I said, stomp it real good. He stomped it real good. He looks at the guys in the stands. I said, take off. He starts running around the gym. 150 prisoners jump to their feet, screaming, oh, this is awesome. Ah. You know, and, and he comes back to me. Of course, my troops in the back going, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know? <laughs> so... He comes back to me, and I said, look, God didn't heal you so you can live the rest of your life for the devil. This guy, that's all I said. He drops to his knees, bursts into tears, and cries out to Jesus to save him. 
I look at the other 150, I say, if anybody want what he's got, come out here right now. 150 guys jump up and come forward. All of them. Unbelievable, right? They all get saved. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I just thought it was a great story. You might like to hear it. Okay. So here's the thing about gifts. Um, now, that was a gift of faith, okay, really. It was a gift of faith on my part. It was, and that's a gift. That, it doesn't mean I, ha- I was a man of faith. That means it was a gift of faith that was dropped into me at that moment by the Holy Spirit, okay, different. That's part of the, you know, the, the nine gifts. Okay, that was different. All of us can operate in those nine gifts, but there are other gifts that are innate. They're in you all the time, and they've been there. And remember the scripture, we read it in the last section. Uh, it says that the gifts... Gifts, plural, that's why you know there's always a cluster. Gifts and calling are irrevocable. The gifts that you have to, so you can walk out your purpose, they're equipment for you. This is how he equips you. He gives you specific equipment, specific gifts. Like my gifts, hey, I had great motor skills, and I could talk. And then I learned how to write. That gift was always there, but I didn't know it. Okay? So my gift cluster of who I am is perfect for the purpose that I have. And guess what? So is yours. You have a specific gift mix. Some of you are great with your mind. You can look at something, complex problem, and you can just put the whole thing together in your mind and fix it. Some of you are great with your hands. Some of you, just, you just, you're just lovers. And let me tell you what, being able to love people is a gift. I have a friend, Tim, I always say this, people who have an extra amount of something, a gift, is so they can continually give it away, yet they're not empty, right? They're imparters. They impart this. So I had this friend, Tim, and he's a lover. He's one of those guys, he comes in and hugs you, he holds you too long, and his face is too much inside your personal space. He likes to kiss you. If you're a guy or a girl, he doesn't care. And he's just the most wonderful teddy bear. He's absolutely awesome. He's one of my best friends. I just love that guy. But most guys cannot handle him because he's too much of a lover. And men are too stoic. Men are, you know, it's like, whoa, dude, you know, back off. I'm like, no, I like to hold him longer than he wants to hold me. <laughs> you know, just, just to bug him, right? So, but he imparts that to you. He imparts that gift to you. He's a lover. He teaches people how to love by showing, by living his life around them. Okay? My gift, if, if you asked all of my friends, what's Bill's gift? It's a gift of faith. I just totally believe whatever God tells me. I totally believe everything I read, and it's an, it is not an issue with me. It's not difficult. That's why I could do that with that prisoner. I mean, it was a gift of faith, but the gift of faith was there because it's part of my gift mix is faith. Right? I just have that. I don't know why. I didn't, I didn't wake up and go, hey, can you give me that? It just, he did it, right? So each one of you has a specific gift mix that is perfect for who you are. It's your equipment package. So what you have to do is figure out what those gifts are. Let me just give you some scriptures on this. Well, first, let me give you this, let me give this illustration. I love this illustration. So if you ever wonder what people's gifts are, I'll tell you how easy it is. If you're ever at a party, any type of gathering here at the church where there's food, get some cookies, something that's not messy, back up against the wall and drop them. And then watch what happens. 
the person who's a servant, the first thing they're doing is they're finding a broom and they're coming up and they're cleaning everything up, right? The person who's a, person who's a prophet comes up and goes, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> the, t- <laughs> the teacher... The teacher goes, you know, if you had two plates and you held it more like this, that, you know, that wouldn't happen again, right? The pastor comes up, puts his arm, it's okay, it's all right. You, know. you can just watch the gifts happen, right? They're just going to happen because people are just going to be who they are. It's gonna, they're gonna, those gifts are natural. It's not something you have to work up, and they're in you. They're in all of us, right? Ah, I love that illustration. I stole it from somebody, but it's really good. So, uh, Romans uh, 12, 6 through 8. Uh, do I even have that written down anywhere? Yes. Just as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, it's a grace package of gifts. And what does grace mean? You did not earn it. He gave you the gifts that are the best for you and what he's called you to do. So it's given to us. Let each exercise them accordingly. Exercise them. What happens when you exercise? You get stronger. The more you use the gift, the stronger the gift becomes. Accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service and, of course, teaching, giving, all the different things there. So the gifts come... As a, as a portion of the grace that God shows to us. That means you didn't earn them. He just knew for you this would be the best. Romans 1.11 says, I long to see you in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you so that you can be established. Spiritual gifts establish you. They center you. They foundation you. That's what that means. Okay. And Paul is saying, I want to give you spiritual gifts. Not every gift is spiritual, right? I don't have a gift of math. Math is not easy for me, okay? Fortunately, it's easy for my wife, and so she keeps the books. I don't have to mess with it. Every time I have messed with it, I messed it up. <laughs> so math isn't easy for me. That's not my gift, but it's not, I don't need it for what I do. I just hire somebody to do that, right? Or my wife does it. So... It's not an issue of having all the gifts. You don't have to have all the gifts. You just need the gifts that make sense for who you are. So think of it this way. If you look at your gift package, what kind of person would have a package like that? See, see, this is not rocket science. This is, okay, I have these specific gifts. I'm, I'm physically fit. I, ha- I can do all kinds of things motor skill-wise, and I can talk. What kind of person would have those gifts? A person who's in front of people. It could be a, phys- a fitness trainer, right? It could be, you know, what I did with the circus. It could be any, anything like that. So I look at my gift mix, and then the faith is aspect. You know, that gets more into one of the equipping I'm called to be an equipper. I'm one of the five-fold equipper guys. Doesn't mean I'm any better than anybody else. Value's the same, right? We're all the same. Just means that's my, my gift mix. I have that in me to be that. And because I, I, over the years, I learned, you know what? The five-fold ministry gifts, I have those gifts. Don't operate in all of them all the time, but they're a part of who I am. 
I'm not embarrassed to say that. It's not an ego thing. I just look at it. I had nothing to do with that. I didn't give them to me. And I'm comfortable talking about them because I know that's him, not me. I, I'm, my job is to exercise them. I didn't give them to me. See, that, that takes all the pressure off us, right? The pressure isn't, oh, gosh, i got to have these gifts. No, the pressure is, what gifts do I have? I'll just exercise those, and that's it. That's easy. Because remember, your mansion's as big as Billy Graham's if you both did what you're called to do. Right? Okay. Let's make a couple of gift things here. Um, 1 Peter 4.10 says, each one, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then he talks about speaking and you know, other things. But the key here is all of us, as each one has received a special gift. There are special gifts. So we've seen spiritual gifts. We've seen the gift package, and then there's special gifts. And we're to use it to do what? Help people. The gift if I'm the If I'm the UPS driver, are the packages for me? No, I deliver the packages. So the gifts that we have, they're rarely for us. They're for the people we're going to minister to or we minister to the Lord. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, you can, get, you can enjoy them, but I'll tell you that the coolest thing is when you're using your gifts to bless someone else. That's awesome. You see somebody's lives change? Wow. I mean, this morning, there's a woman here that I was praying for who had the abdominal pain. Is she here? It was from Nigeria. Is she here? Is that her? Somewhere around. Anyway, this woman was here from Nigeria this morning. There she is. Yeah. And uh, how's your, you okay still? Okay, so she comes up, she has severe abdominal pain, you said you had fibromyalgia and some other things, right? Or fibro, fibrous tissue, whatever. She was in a lot of pain. So we prayed maybe, what, four or five times, right? Pain left. She's healed. She goes, I'm going to go home, I'm going to check it out, I'm healed. All right? So what, I, what I'm saying is that that's, that's, I operate in that gift, okay? I, I know that healing works. And so she was going, well, I just, you know, I'm going to come tonight. I, I just need, want to get prayer for healing. I said, what do you want to wait tonight for? Let's do it right now. I mean, right? Right? But see, healing, because it's one of the nine gifts of the Spirit, any believer can walk in. Right? There's a ministry of healing. I have a ministry of healing. Okay? That means it's, on, it's, it's resident and, and it happens all the time. There's the gift of healing that I, as a believer, whether I had the ministry or not, can give away any time. So when I was praying for her, I wasn't really thinking, okay, I'm operating in the ministry of healing. I just knew as a believer I can pray for her and she's going to be healed. Because I don't let myself think, what if it doesn't work? That's not my, that is not my responsibility. My responsibility is to pray. My responsibility is to believe. That's part of the gift mix. We all have, we can all operate in those gifts of the Spirit. So we have special gifts, we have um, the spiritual gifts, we have the gift mix. I love this scripture. Proverbs 18, 16, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. He's not talking about some big minister. He's not talking about being a pro athlete. He's talking about any gift. How do we know that? Back when it was time to build the temple, or not the temple, but to build the uh, tabernacle in the wilderness, it's, uh, what did the first thing Moses say? He said, call for the skilled craftsmen. <laughs> man by the name of Bezalel comes in, 
He's the very first person in Scripture that says he had the Holy Spirit come upon him. What was he? He was a craftsman. He wasn't a Levite. He wasn't a priest. He was a craftsman. And yet God poured wisdom into him as to how to build everything, how to do everything. See, it's, it's not about, you know, like I said, we got to get rid of the star mentality about a, somebody who's on a platform. It's about who are you and what, is, what can God do with you? And the truth is anything, right? So, and that gift brought him before great men, brought him before, hey, this is Moses. This is the guy who's running everything, right? What did Joseph's gift, what happened with Joseph? He's in a dream interpreter. That was an awesome gift. Where did he end up? in front of Pharaoh, ended up saving the entire world at that point because his gift made a way for him, right? So gifts are really important. This is, it's the equipment that you have that God gives you to get things done. Now, here's, here's another point. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift which is in you through the laying out of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and discipline or a sound mind. He's saying, look, pay attention to your gift. Don't neglect it. Stir it up. Keep using it. Now, there's some of you here, you probably, you could be some, you maybe you're a 10-talent person. Maybe you've got a lot of gifts. And the problem with having a lot of gifts is you have a lot of gifts. And it's easy to go, God, which one do I use right now? And it's easy to neglect the others because you can do so many things easily because you have that thing on you. And that's awesome. But you have to continually stir yourself up. You cannot neglect them. And this next verse is just as important. And it's in Exodus uh, 35.10. And it says, He has filled him, this is Bezalel, filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship. And then he filled them with skill to perform every work of an engraver, a designer, an embroiderer. And of course, this is all about building the tabernacle in the wilderness. These people took their gifts and turned them into skills. There's a difference between a gift and a skill, right? You can, be, you can have a gift, and you can have an amazing, beautiful voice. But there's a difference between someone who has a really good gift and someone who turns it into a skill. And what he's saying here is he, these people were gifted, but then they became skilled. And you want to make sure that you don't just sit back on your gifts and go, look what I have, but you turn it into a skill. A skill is different. A skill means you have taken some time and to put into that to develop it to its absolute best. So don't ever sit back and go, yeah, it's easy for me to sing. It's easy for me to play. It's easy for me to write. It's easy for me to build a house or whatever. No, no, no. Keep increasing your skills. See, stewardship, like I said before, stewardship is about multiplication. Stewardship is not about maintenance. It's not about maintenance. It's about increasing. You know, who, I forget what the, the, the musician's name is. He was 80 years old. He was cellist. And uh, he still practiced. At 80, he was still practicing eight hours a day. And they asked him, why do you practice? He says, I think I'm getting better. At 80, he understood the principle. Don't just quit. You know, don't just stop where you are. Keep on going. Okay, now this is one I really want to hammer, and then we're, we're almost done here for, this, for the evening. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it's the list of, it says, God has appointed or set in place in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, then helps. 
administrations, various kinds of tongues. Helps is listed with apostles and prophets and teachers. No offense, but pastors, I mean, pastors aren't there. Evangelists aren't there in that list. Isn't that interesting? Why, you know, he, he talks about three out of the five, but he didn't talk about the other two. You know why? I was hoping you could tell me. I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know why I didn't do it. I've read that so many times. I go, where's the other two? What happened there? But he includes helps and administrations. And I can tell you, two of the biggest needs in every church is helps and administration. They are huge spiritual gifts. So what is the ministry of helps? Exactly what it says. The guys who are doing the audiovisual right now, that's ministry of helps. Are they on the platform? No. Does anybody pay attention to them? Hardly ever, unless something goes wrong. Then everybody's paying attention to them. Right? They're the unsung heroes of any, any meeting. Okay? A ministry of helps. The guys who clean up, the guys who set up the tables, the guys, you know, whatever. The people who are involved in helping create the space for God to move are listed with apostles and prophets. I think helps is one of the most misunderstood spiritual gifts on the planet. We all need help. See, I, you know, people go, man, you know, you're a great speaker. You know, it's been so much fun to do the circus. Do you know what? If, if the guy who makes my socks didn't make my socks, you wouldn't, like, you wouldn't want to be around me because my feet would not smell good. And they would hurt. They'd probably hurt. Or the one who made my pants or my shirt or whatever. Do I need those guys? Yeah. Will I ever meet them? No. Are they important? Of course helps. They're, they're a help to me to be in front of you right now. And here's the thing about helps. Everybody needs help. And we all need to operate in the ministry of helps. You know, a woman came to me this morning, I'm sure she's here somewhere, um, who said, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. So I said, you know what? If you pour yourself into someone else's vision and, and you come alongside them as a help, you are sowing amazing seed, and at some point, God will give you, you your vision and your purpose. And you know what? But if your purpose, and we said it at the very beginning, and the very first thing we said, if my vision is to be a minister of helps, I'm going to do it joyfully because the pay is the same. You understand? So having a ministry of helps and being a minister of helps is a huge deal. It is a big spiritual gift to the Lord and administrations, too. Listen, I, I do administrations because I have to, not because I love it. I do not love administration. Okay? I was a whack-out circus guy. I love going hard and fast. I love adrenaline rush, all that stuff. I, that's what I love. Sitting at a desk doing planning, which I'm going to teach a lot about in the next couple of days, that's not my idea of a good time. But I do it because I had to learn it because there wasn't nobody else to do it. But I love handing it off to people, too. Man, get an administrator who really knows what they're doing, and oh, yeah, you take that over. <clears throat> it's a spiritual gift. It's a huge thing, and God says it's part of the foundation of the church. Okay. One more thing. Then we're going to do a drill. We're going to be done. You probably the majority of you in here are not called to the fivefold ministry. 
I'm going to read a list of names. These are all in the New Testament. These are people who are listed. Names, they're by name in the New Testament. Would you like to have your name in the New Testament? But they're not in the fivefold ministry. Joseph, Jesus' father, was a carpenter. Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea was a businessman. Stephen was a servant. Philip was a servant. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers in business. Lydia was in business as a merchant. Dorcas was a seamstress. Cornelius was a centurion in the army. Uh, Tertius was, he helped write Paul's letters. He was a minister of helps. Uh, Gaius had hospitality. Rastus was a city treasurer. Luke was a doctor. Zenus was a lawyer. Uh, Archippus uh, is, had a church that met in his house. Didn't say he did anything except let him meet there. Uh, Demetrius had a good reputation in the city. Ananias was a devout man. Peter, James, and John, they were, uh, they were all fishermen to start with. Uh, Matthias was a tax collector, worked for the government. Paul was the only man in the New Testament leaders of those who was already pursuing full-time ministry when he was called. And when he was called, guess what he did? The Lord stuck him for 16 years where to do what? He put, you go away and learn how to be a businessman. And he learned how to make tents. And that's where he got his greatest revelation and ended up writing a lot of the New Testament based on the revelation he got when he would learn how to make tents, becoming a businessman. You see, the majority of us are called to the marketplace. We're not called to the ministry as far as ministry being pulpit ministry. We're in church ministry. Our job is to be in one of those seven mountains out there in the world, being the light, the city on a hill for them. That's where we're called to. <clears throat> the majority of us will not be here. Now, I'm in business. I've got three businesses. I own three companies, okay? <clears throat> Getting involved in another one right now. Not because I love business, but because God said you have to stay in business so you never forget what it's like. <clears throat> Did you hear what I said? Because when I got out of ministry in 1993, the Lord, and I was called out again by Paul Kane out of a 10,000-seat auditorium conference, and he said, Bill, the circus guy, where are you? I stood up, and he said, the Lord says, whatever you're doing, stop doing it, do something else for a while, and I'll give you your ministry back later. Didn't know me. We'd never met at that point. So ended up getting out of ministry, and I thought that would be about a year and a half. Guess how long it was? 23 years. <clears throat> 23 years. That's a long time. And so I, learned, I got involved in every single kind of business you can get involved in. And I learned how to fail in all of them. <laughs> I mean, I did. Seriously. I would say I learned how to fail successfully because I learned how to learn out of every failure. I tried. It wasn't out there trying to fail, and it wasn't always my fault. But I learned everything I could. And the Lord saying, look, I got you out here because you need to know what it's like. You've been in ministry since you got born again, and you don't understand what it's like not to be in ministry. You need to know. Because ministry is a bubble. It's not reality. If you live in, if you're just in ministry all the time, it's not real unless you're a pastor, because pastors, it is reality, because they have to deal with you all the time. <laughs> okay? True? I mean, I understand how it works, but most people in ministry, you're in a bubble. You get to pray whenever you want, you get to read your Bible whenever you want, you get to do all, you know, you get to pray for people, you get to go to conferences. That's not reality. Reality is what you guys do every single day in business or at home or wherever it might be. And so the Lord said, you can never not be in business because you have to remember. And I get it. I do get it. And, and there's times, I mean, I love, some business I love doing, but 
this is what I want to do, but this is like, this is like dessert. <laughs> okay, so that's just the people. So I want you to turn to page 15. Is it 15? I think it's 15. <laughs> is it 15 or 16? 15, right. So it says your gifts and skills. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to do this. You're going to check off you know, which ones pertain to you. These are the gifts that are no or mine. And if there's some other gift you think you have that isn't listed here, just write it in. Then on the opposite page where it says uses for your gifts, I want you to look at that gift mix and then look over at the list on the next page and circle the opportunities which appeal to you most based on the gift mix that you have. But I want you to put down some specific details. So like for me, I wanted to work in the school. I wanted to be a teacher, and I wanted to start this fall. So I put next to schools, teacher, September 2018. Does that make sense to you? So you're going to look at your gifts, and then you're going to look at this list. And you can add to this list as much as you want. But it's one thing to know you have gifts and know what they are. It's another thing to know where to use them. Right? This thing is about activation, guys. Yeah, I want you to know your gifts, and I want you to be comfortable with them, but then I want you to get out there off your blessed assurance and go use them. Right? Okay, so go ahead and start on that, and uh, we'll give you a few minutes.
Okay, turn to the person next to you, share with them what you wrote down.
Okay, all right. That's good. Okay, did you, did you enjoy that one? Was that good? Now, here's the thing. Here's what I just did to you. I just forced you into a corner because what you just did was you said, here's my gifts, here's where I can use them. And guess what you have to go do? You have to go do them. <laughs> so a little sneaky there, but my thing is always, if I don't give you something you can do today, I haven't, I haven't served you. So now you know you have something that you can do toward your purpose, toward your destiny tomorrow, or maybe even today. Okay? You're already down the road. Do you see that? You are already down the road. So stand up. I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to dismiss. We're all ministers. Some are in the pulpit. Most of us are in the marketplace, and the pay is the same, right? All right. So, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the Holy Spirit being our wisdom and our revelation. And, Holy Spirit, we thank you. Help to solidify all of this in us. We refuse to let this be stolen from us. We will not allow the devil come and steal the seed that has been sown tonight. We thank you that this is the beginning of something wonderful for all of us and that we are going to begin to live as if you actually do have a reason for us to be here. And we're going to find it and we're going to do it. And we thank you the world is going to change in whatever aspect, whatever mountain we're supposed to be a part of, we're going to bring the mountain of God, the kingdom of God, into those mountains with us. And we thank you for the opportunity, Lord. Thank you for the privilege and the responsibility in Jesus' name. Amen. See you tomorrow.